The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Turn in the Bible, please, to 1 Peter. One of these days, God's going to bless you, and my voice just won't hold out, and I'll just have to quit somewhere along the way. And <coughs> It's a good time for this particular message in a day in the United States when there's an election right around the corner. Godly, upstanding people to choose from. That's my tongue and my cheek. Sports figures who can't respect the flag, so they sit for the national anthem. <coughs> Scared black Americans, in some cases being targeted, in other cases being killed, even when they do submit to the authority. And the resultant protests that go along with that. Our Senator Tim Scott giving a speech before the Senate, sharing how seven times in one year he was stopped by the police. Not all of those times were, uh, a few of those times were for driving too fast. We'll get to that later. But most of them, because... It was a black man in a nice car in the wrong neighborhood. I'd be mad, too. We have plenty of current events to help us consider the context of this passage today. When my true citizenship is in heaven, and we've been talking about that ever since we started First Peter, do I have any responsibility to the country on earth? What's the Christian world view regarding this place we live? God has something to say to us, I think, about dishonorable language we would use toward the president or any other authority, even when we don't agree. God has something to say to us in this passage about talk radio. It has something to say to us about this anti-authority culture that is a part of our nation, especially among our youth. There's something here about us living in this post-Christian society that we live in today and how God relates to all of it. How can I be gospel-centered? How can I be God-centered, Christ-centered in this at best, neo-pagan culture that we live in. Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, verse 13 and following, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 
Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. What makes this issue so important for Peter and relevant to us is in what he's said already up to this point. Already he's given us the foundation of instruction as to why these duties are necessary based on our conduct. Our relationship to Christ determines our identity, not where we live, not where we were born. Back in verse 5, he says, you yourselves, you're living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house. You're the dwelling place of God. It's where he abides. Priestly ministry is performed in you. Spiritual sacrifices are offered up. In verse 9, he says, Christians are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, he calls us the people of God. Verse 11, we looked at last week. We said, you're sojourners and you're exiles. And then verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Our task is not only to be God's possession, but his dwelling place and the demonstration of his nature. How can we demonstrate his nature when we're always running our mouths about how awful the government is? Or repeating everything we heard on talk radio. Conduct ourselves in a godly fashion. We're sojourners. We're exiles right here in the middle of our own social institution, our own cultural institution. Our own political institution. That's where we are. That's where we find ourselves. And all that raises questions about what allegiance do we have to the institutions of the world. If we're a separate holy nation, if we're God's people, and if we're aliens and strangers in this place, maybe we should withdraw and create some sort of new kind of evangelical monastery for us all to live in. Don't you feel sometimes like it would be great to escape? Why don't we just create some Christian community where we just separate ourselves and we can be ourselves? Well, eventually we'd start fighting, but we'd go. That's, that's for another time. Well, Peter says, no, you can't do that. You can't separate yourself. There's a way to live in this place and bring God glory. And while you're here, you're citizens of two systems. The the world with its necessary God-ordained government. The necessary God-ordained institutions. And then the kingdom of God. You're a citizen of that, you believers here today. And those two kingdoms, those two systems don't have equal authority, but God is the ruler of both of them. You see, most of you were born here. You were born here, citizens 
of the United States or wherever, whatever country you were born in. Some of you were born in other places. But you were born here, citizens of the United States. You were born again in exile status. So the rest of this letter is unpacking what Peter has told us last week. We looked at 11 and 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they might... They may, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's the goal. The two prerequisites here in verses 11 and, and 12. And you've got to nail down those two points before you can move forward into actually what is, what's your behavior supposed to be. First of all, he requires purity of all of us. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. And second thing, remember. Remember what? People are watching especially unbelievers. This is our opportunity to show them what it means to have Christ living in and through our lives. That's what he tells us in 11 and 12. You would think it wouldn't take me an hour to say that like I did last week. Having Christ as Lord of your life makes the difference. And then beginning in verse 13... He becomes more specific. Submission to others shows the godly conduct in your life. Submission to civil authority, submission to uh, from uh, servants to their masters, he speaks of. Submission of wives to their husbands, he speaks of. Even unbelieving husbands, even unkind husbands. Verse 7 of chapter 3, he talks to husbands about submission. How do we function obediently to God in a hostile world? It's really the theme of this text. And there are really just two questions in this text. How do we live as citizens? And why do we live that way? And we're just going to take each verse, really just each sentence out of the uh, sentences as ESV translates it. Verses 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Be subject. Your Bible might say submit to. Submit ourselves to every human, every human institution. You notice every, he says. Makes it even harder. The term be subject is almost always taught and understood in terms of authority. Submit. Definition. To place oneself under subjection. To render oneself subordinate. It's the proper response of the Christian to those in positions of authority over us. And in secular thinking, in the unbelieving world, this may be as far as submission goes to render oneself subordinate. But that's not the case from Scripture. 
We have a really good Old Testament perspective of this. Jeremiah teaches us this in Jeremiah 29, 4-7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. See, notice that God sent them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Look at verse 7. But seek the welfare. Now, you're in exile in another place. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. You are exiles. Make this a priority. Paul taught the same principle in Romans 13, and uh, Greg Gifford preached on Romans 13 several months back. Verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So the every human institution that Peter is talking about in verse 13 has been instituted by God. Good citizens submitting to the government. That was very different when Peter's speaking strange language to his people now. Very different concept of those zealous Jews back in his day who recognized no king but God and paid taxes to nobody except God. Robert Clark in his, Robert, anyway, Clark in his um, commentary says the meaning of St. Peter appears to be this. The Jews thought it unlawful to obey any ruler that was not their own stock. The apostle tells them that they should obey their civil magistrate. Let him be of what stock he may, whether Jew or Gentile, and let him exercise the government in whatever form. Peter wrote in the days of the Roman Empire, it was not a democracy. No friend to Christians. And yet, he insists that his people, although they will not understand, must submit to the Roman government. We must be subject And we show that submission by, guess what, of all else, paying taxes. I'm sorry. I was going to bring you up as an example, but I decided not. Paying taxes. Showing respect and honor to our officials. Well, Paul talks about that. Well, at least you're in good company. Paul talks about that. Romans 13, 5 through 7. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. 
And so far in verses 13 and 14, submission is viewed in the context of authority. And those who submit are submitting to the civil authorities. Submission is not only to be granted to the king, but what does he say here? Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil. The underlings that the emperor sends to do his dirty work or do whatever work he has to do. I understand, Peter, this is by, by Peter. This not only means men in prominent positions of power like governors, but those who speak on their behalf, the civil servants, carry out the functions of government on our level. Submit to the mailman. That's even harder. Respond to the agents of authority as though they were the supreme authority. Purpose of government and those who govern is completely consistent with Peter's call for excellent conduct and submission to those who serve in those areas. Whether they come as the punishment of evildoers or the praise of those who do right. While the form of government may differ, the task is the same. Even a pagan and corrupt government is better than none at all. So we're to submit every human institution, whether a monarchy or democracy or a totalitarian state, with the worst of dictators, we are to submit. That's our responsibility. That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? When one's being persecuted, as these who Peter's writing to are being persecuted, lost so much because of the persecution. But that word submit, it's an imperative. It's a strong, strong command. God expects believers to submit themselves to the laws of government. And note that word every again, every human institution and every institution is to be obeyed every level of government local state federal is to be obeyed why is that so important why would god set that up well if it wasn't obeyed lawlessness runs wild people would have to live behind closed doors no property would be safe it'd just be anarchy Bedlam, even in the worst of governments. You see, without law or the keeping of the law, there'd be no society, no community, no life together, no bond to tie people together. It's an utter necessity to keep people from becoming wild beasts in the jungle of institutions that God has created chaos is not god's will for the world law and order are god's will will that's why we have government why why do we submit what he says be subject for the lord's sake 
We're not to live righteously primarily to obtain the praise of men. Of course, he says that earlier. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they see your good deeds and glorify God. You see that? They don't even praise you. They glorify God when they see your good deeds. We live righteously in order to bring praise to God. So Peter instructs us for the Lord's sake. Paul instructs us in Ephesians 5, submission is to be as to the Lord. Ephesians 6, in the Lord, for the Lord's sake, according to Peter. Our submission to civil authority should be carried out as obedience to our Lord. Paul tells us throughout that first half of Romans 13. And if we submit in this way, we'll we'll receive God's praise. But he'll receive praise as well. Robert Haldane, in his wonderful commentary on um, uh, Romans, uh, the book of Romans, in particular chapter 13, he says, We are to obey God rather than men. The people of God then ought to consider resistance to the government under which they live as a very awful crime, even as resistance to God himself. We are to consider resistance to the government under which we live an awful crime, even as if you're resisting God himself. They're bound to obey. We are bound to obey, not good rulers only, but oppressive rulers also, if they do not command what God forbids. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The Christian's relationship to the state and State officials is very clear. We see it here. We see it in Romans 13. We see it in 1 Timothy 2. We see it in Titus 3. We're to submit to the authority of government rulers by obeying them. We should do this not necessarily because those rulers deserve our submission. Because they are personally worthy of our submission. Because in many cases they aren't. But because by submitting to them, we honor God by doing his will. This is the will of God. We do that when we see Christians increasingly militant these days. There was a day, sure it's not over with yet. When an abortionist is murdered by a man, some would view very little different than the abortionist. The bombing of abortion clinics. If the evangelical pro-life movement is willing to break laws in order to save the lives of the unborn, which laws are we willing to break? Will we kill in order to keep killing from happening? (laughs) Some would like to think so. Some would like others to think so. We see then just how vitally important 
the Christian's relationship to civil government is. We're aliens. We're strangers on this earth. We're exiles. Our citizenship is in heaven. But this does not mean that we're somehow less obligated to submit. Peter's words, as I say, aren't easy to swallow. And, and they're less easy to obey. the same obligation to obey the government as do unbelievers living in this nation. But we have an even higher obligation than unbelievers. Why? That by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Silence, that word there means muzzle. Literally means muzzle. Close the mouth with a muzzle. How many times have you spoken or said something you thought, man, I wish I hadn't said that. You're going to muzzle yourself. Muzzling the ox as he treads out the corn. That's what it means. When he says that by doing good, you should put to silence, muzzle the ignorance of foolish people. It's the will of God because our lives of submission will shut the mouths of foolish unbelievers. By obeying the law, we can stop unnecessary criticism. We can stop illegitimate criticism. It simply does away with attacks. As he said in verse 12, when they speak against you as evildoers. Jesus did this by paying his taxes. Matthew 17, verse 24. And they came to Capernaum. The collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take it and give it to them for me and for yourself. Don't you wish you'd come up your, with your tax that way? A few chapters later, he said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So Jesus tells his disciples to pay their taxes even though Rome used their tax money for purposes contrary to God's will. But Jesus also knew it would shut the mouths of those who would criticize him at least on that issue. The believer who continues to live for Christ by doing good will eventually silence his critics. It'll take some time. But eventually the righteous and godly behavior will overcome the lies. It will overcome the attacks of the vicious and those that are evil here on earth, those who hate us. And it won't happen to all of them. But that's the instruction. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. He warns us 
against taking our freedom, the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ, as an excuse for sin. What would be the sin? Not submitting to the authorities. Instead, we use our freedom in Christ to show the kind of love and respect that Peter calls for, the kind of honor that he calls for. John Piper gives a great illustration in regard to something as simple as the speed limit. And there's a comparison here, before I share that with you, there's a comparison here between verse 13 and verse 16. They seem to contradict each other. Be subject or submit. And then he uses the word free or freedom or liberty. They seem contradictory in this conversation. Piper says, when you submit to the speed limit, now, my guess is not a single person in this room understands that. When you submit to the speed limit, you are worshiping God by obeying the authority. You're not free. This is what he means in verse 16. You're not free when you break the law. Because you're in bondage to your cravings, your desires, your sin. You break the law, it's a sin. Something as simple as the speed limit. When you break the law, you're not free to break the law. You're not free to just step on that pedal a little bit more. No, you're in bondage. But this isn't about speed limits. It's a little tried example compared to when they want to kill you. It's a tried little example when they want to take away your bakery business because you wouldn't bake that cake. So this is free submission. There's another trite example. Tattoos. What seemed like freedom 50 years ago, now you're in bondage to. He's 15 years old. He's in love with Julie. He goes and gets a Julie tattoo. A week later, Julie hates his guts. He's stuck with Julie the rest of his life. What seemed like freedom, I'm free to do this, is bondage. And show, so showing deference, the great word, showing deference to a special mayor, the, the president, it's not cowering to them. It's not putting yourself in bondage. It is. That's what living free actually means. It's the will of God. You never cower to anyone. God is your king Christians are free in the sense of being under no obligation to God to gain his acceptance. 
He's accepted us because of what Jesus Christ did for us. We're also free from the tyranny of Satan. We're no longer his slaves. And so we should not use that freedom to sin, but refrain from it. Because sin is bondage. Then he closes out, verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. That expands that teaching on submission. Everyone. Honor everyone. Not just the government authorities. Covers the whole forest. From the king, a supreme human authority, the lowest levels of power and position. Includes God as the ultimate and final authority over all creation. It covers both believers and unbelievers. Broad instruction. And those three words are very important. Honor, love, fear. They're there specifically for a reason. Carefully chosen. Submission has a universal dimension. Concludes all of mankind without any exception. All men are to be honored. The brotherhood of believers are to be loved. There is a degree of intimacy and kindness uh, and relationship between one believer and other saints that we don't have with anybody else. So in Scripture, the believer has a higher level of obligation to other believers than to unbelievers. Honor everyone. Love the brothers. Paul tells us in Galatians 6.10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially, especially, those who are of the household of faith. The king is to receive honor as the ultimate human authority over man. He's to be honored as a man, but he's in a sense the head man. But there's a limit to the honor he receives. He's to be honored as a man. He's never to be worshipped as a god. Well, we won't read the text, but then back in Acts 12, you have Herod who is being worshipped as a god. And you remember what happened to him? An angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. For allowing others to worship him, Herod was struck down. He's to be honored as a man, mainly the, the main man here on earth, the head man here on earth, but not worshipped as God. So these four commands summarize our obligations. First two and last two are our pairs. We, are, we should respect everyone, but we should, we should love fellow believers. God deserves our fear, whereas the emperor is worthy of respect. And that connects to the teaching of Jesus, to love our enemies and render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, and to God that which is God's. 
that final word Peter says, he's just driving that point home. Honor the emperor. Why would he say that? Well, the people he's writing to are finding it especially difficult to honor the Roman emperor that would like for them to be killed. Especially this emperor, who's the emperor while Peter is writing. This is Nero, who's blaming the Christians for burning down Rome. And and sticking them on poles and lighting them as torches to light his gardens. This is the Nero that these people have become exiles because of. Honor that person. I've heard people say, I'll honor the office of president, but not the president. That doesn't go far enough. That's disobedience. Okay, Pastor, are there any exceptions to this? Really? Is there any way we can get out of some of this? Well, yes. Is there a time when Christians are justified in refusing to obey governmental authorities? How absolute is their power? How absolute is the power of the governor, the power of the emperor, the power of the mayor, the power of the dictator? Well, we learn from Peter himself how absolute it is. Acts five twenty-seven through 29. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Some Christians take the notion that believers are free to disobey the government if the government permits conduct that's contrary to God's will. Notice that word, permits. And so some Christians do feel justified bombing abortion clinics because you know that's not God's will, but the government permits it. But it's clear throughout Scripture, even here in Acts 5 and in other places as well, that apostolic civil disobedience recorded in Scripture involves situations in which believers had to disobey God's will. Not just because the government permitted it. A report from a Canadian magazine two weeks ago. And the report gives the suggestion that if you are a doctor, you should be required to perform abortions with no exceptions. And you should not be a doctor in Canada if you refused. Now, that's already true in Sweden. But it's getting close to home. And that, when that takes place, and it'll happen there and eventually happen here, When that takes place, that's when the Christian doctor disobeys the authority. Not because the government permits 
abortion. It's when the Christian is required to go against the will of God. The United States government permits abortion, but it does not require it. The government allows same-sex ceremonies. I submit to that government. When I don't is the day when the government requires me to do it. And then I'll gladly go to jail. I'll gladly pay the fine or whatever the punishment will be. And let me, let me mention gladly here quickly. You see Christians protesting something at some point that they don't like the government is doing. And when the police come and pick them up, they make it as difficult as possible. They lay down in the streets so the police have to work hard. No. I think that's disobedience as well. You obey the authority. You go gladly when they come to arrest you. And consider the conditions that Paul is speaking under. I mean, Peter is speaking of Paul at the same time as well. The government was totalitarian. Nero is the ruler. You know that story. Christians suffered greatly under his rule. Eventually what? Peter is crucified. Upside down, Paul is beheaded. And they're instructing people, be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution. We are to submit. Oh, we don't just submit. We have to pray for him too. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, for kings and all who are in high positions. That's why Josh prayed before the sermon for those in authority. Peter had similar sentiments about authorities in Acts chapter 4. So they called them, charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You can't preach. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They tell me I can't preach. And I'll take whatever punishment there is for preaching even if it's death. Peter believed there's a proper place. Are there exceptions? There's a proper place for civil disobedience. When the laws of government, human government, make it illegal to obey God personally. In such a case, you obey God rather than man. You see, we're exiles. We're supposed to order ourselves in the city of Charleston, South Carolina. Or North Chuck or Somerville or Hanahan or Ravenel, Mount Pleasant, wherever you come from. We're supposed to order ourselves in this place. We order ourselves in the state of South Carolina. The federal government. We're supposed to order ourselves in freedom and submission to the powers that be. President Obama shows up at my house. He will receive all the honor I could possibly muster up. 
I don't have to respect his positions, but I will honor him as best I can. This is the duplicity of these two worlds we live in. I respect or agree with not one of his positions. But he is the authority God has given to me, to us, for the good order of society, and he will receive my best honor. Why? For the Lord's sake. Lord Percy Eustace. This is a long quote, but so very important, I think. Ever since Christianity was first preached, the Christian citizen has been a puzzle both to himself and to his rulers. By the elementary necessities of his creed, he has been a man living in two worlds. In one, he has been a member of a national community. In the other, of a community taken out of the nations. In one, has he been bound to obey and enforce the laws of his state. In the other, to measure his conduct by standards not recognized by those laws and often inconsistent with them. This dualism has been made tolerable only by the prospect of a reconciliation. That prospect is, again, an elementary necessity of the Christian creed. Somehow, somewhere, the conflict of loyalties will end. The kingdom of this world will pass. The kingdom of God will be established. It was hard for Paul to tell Peter to tell his people. Of course, we who live in a country that, at least for now, allows freedom of religion, we should be especially quick to show our respect and submission and thank God daily for this wonderful privilege he gives us. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Let's pray together. In a moment, we'll sing a hymn. And during that hymn, if you have questions and need someone to pray with you, make your way to the back. Some of our elders will be back there to receive you as you do. Spend time, just spend a few moments with them as they take care of you. Father, we thank you for your word, for your grace in our lives, for the abundance that you provide each of us, for your love and care for us. We thank you, Lord, that you've put us in this place to serve you, in freedom. Help us, Lord, to be better citizens. Help us, Lord, empower us, Lord, to show the goodness of Jesus Christ in our lives so that others might see, others might bring glory to your name because of it. God, encourage us to do that. We repent for our dishonorable words. We repent for our our lack of good deeds and good actions out there in the world. By the power of your Spirit, do your work 
in and through your church in this place. This is the place you've put us. Do that if you will, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.